Christian Medical and Dental Associations hope you enjoy today's chapel message. I wanted to focus on God's awe, be in awe of God's nature. And that began, as I reminded you, I uh, told you last time, I just wanted to remind you an article that I came across in the um, Washington Post. Why is it awesome? why it is awesome that your brain can experience awe. And the author defined awe as a response to encountering something more vast, complex, or mind-blowing than we had conceived of either physically or conceptually. So that author, a secular author, uh, for those of you maybe who weren't here last time, but that secular author pointed out from the secular uh, psychological, psychiatric literature, and others, that there's some benefits uh, to experience, for your brain to experience awe. It can make us and our worries in a good way feel small. It promotes integration into social groups. It gets our thinking off of ourself. Um, it gives us increased feelings of well-being, life satisfaction, and a sense of meaning, uh, and leads to a greater curiosity and creativity. And finally, um, the big point of this of this uh, editorialist uh, article. It improves our mental health as well as our physical health. So all those are really important and good things we would like to pursue. So today I just wanna briefly talk about experience, well, no, sorry, last month it was the awe of God's presence from Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away uh, from your presence. God's presence always with us. He's thinking about us all the time, and his thoughts outnumber the 45 million grains of sand uh, in this jar and all the grains of sand in the earth. He's always uh, continuously thinking about us. Today, I want to talk about God's passion. So experiencing the awe of God's passion, and I could think of no better picture to put before you uh, than the picture of Jesus showing us that he loves us this much John 15, and I'm going to close with this verse, greater love has no man or woman than this, than he or she lay down their life for their friends. Well, some pastors, some very popular, one very popular pastor in particular, has said maybe we should disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament. I personally feel that's a really bad idea, and I know there's, there's a big club with me that feels like the Old Testament is a very powerful precursor and pointer to the New Testament. And those, maybe those people say that there's so much violence and judgment and uh, <clears throat> wrath from God. But just a, a God's own bio, God's own that bio that he gives about himself is in Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, his own name, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And incidentally, this is when Moses went back up the second time. This is after the crazy golden calf episode for the Israelites and they had just ground down that golden calf and made all the Israelites drink the gold dust in drinks. So God 
if he were like us, would be probably still ticked off and angry and not talking about his willingness to forgive and his lavish love. But I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And then Moses gives a response that I think is critical when you're faced with the creator of the universe, an encounter. This anthropomorphisms um, of, of God appearing before and saying, I, I can't let you, Moses, see my face. Anyone who sees my face will die. I'll let you see my back. But it, here God stands before or walks by Moses. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped in response to the awe he was experiencing. And he said, O oh Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please, please travel with us. Yes, there, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Clen, claim us, claim us as your own special possession. Please, Jehovah, Yahweh, be our Valentine. And then God's warning, fine. I will be. I will go with you, Moses. I'll go with your people. I won't, I won't separate myself from you. However, you must not worship. You must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. And Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I think the Apostle Paul was thinking back to this time when God says, my name actually is Jealous. I promised you, Paul said to the Corinthians, to one husband to Christ, that I might present you as a as pure virgin to him. <clears throat> but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Well, um, Speaking of Valentine's Day, my first crush was in elementary school with a girl named Jeannie Williams. Jeannie was our pastor's kid, and I guess I've had a propensity for uh, falling in love with pastors and ministry people's kids uh, because Pam, her father, was also the administrator of our Christian school later on. But between fourth and ninth grade, um, I had this crush on Jeannie, but her father pastor, very wonderful Bible teacher, but I have a confession. Now, he's gone to heaven, so word won't get back to him. I don't remember. Bert, I hope this doesn't depress you this morning, and thank you for coming, but I don't remember a single one of his sermons in six years, fourth grade through ninth grade. I don't remember one, ex well, I don't remember them except one. There was one. Let's just say his superpower was not singing but he sang one Sunday morning, and he sang this song. So this is the one message that I take away from Reverend Willard Williams, who's gone to be with the Lord. It was this song, The Love of God. And I just, I can't forget that powerful message, even though not sung perfectly in tune, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, who's the guilty pair? I guess I can think of Adam and Eve as the guilty pair. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. 
His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. How many of you know this song? Okay. You want to sing it with me? Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Thank you. Thank you. So I think the lesson I took away from that, you don't have to sing perfect, um, but a heart uh, with tears in his eyes, Willard singing this song before us, has never left this uh, fifth or sixth grader's brain. Have you ever changed a word in a song because it really kind of ticked you off? Okay, one, I see one, one head nodding. My wife is here as a witness. There is a song. I can't, we sing it all the time at Discovery. And I can't stand it. I'm to the point I replace it. I can't sing it. I replace it with a different word. It's in this. How many of you ever heard this, oh, the, well, over, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? What word do you think I don't like? Yeah, I can't stand reckless. I can't stand reckless. And it's in there twice. I think that maybe it refers to leaving the 99, how somehow it's reckless. It leaves the 99 behind and goes after the one. But remember Psalm 139. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So he never really leaves the 99. It's just in the parable. So I... One, this is, I kid you not, while the church, the first couple of times I heard this, I went to my, one of my favorite apps on my phone, the dictionary. What does reckless mean? Utterly unconcerned about the consequences of some action, without caution, careless. I saw, I saw see, it means careless. Careless, that isn't our God, to be reckless of danger, characterized by or proceeding from such carelessness. Reckless extravagance. Extravagance. Well, when I saw that, I thought, okay, God is extravagant. Maybe I should be patient with this song. My feeling is agape is not careless, but careful. Careful. So what I do is I use the word awesome. I refuse to say reckless. Um, everybody else sings it. Over oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, awesome love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, awesome love of God. Yeah. So from Scripture, this, this is a, what I call the love cycle. John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one this than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I call it the cycle. Okay, what's God's command? Go to the first verse. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? 
he laid down his life for us. There is no greater love uh, for my friends who are his friends, those who do what he commands. Always takes us back, love each other as I have loved you. So experiencing the awe of God's passion, there can be only one good response. You heard him ask, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life that I've done enough. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, there's that word again, friends. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then there's this powerful prayer. I've heard Bill Griffin, I think he uses this in the Faith Prescription series. Um, (laughs) And at the end of this verse says to the audience, good luck with this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you Believer, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love, and Pam and I sang the grace of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's the phrase that Griff always gets uh, cracked up on, to know something that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And Paul mentions power twice that if we don't have God's power, we won't be able to accomplish that. So next month in March, I'll be focusing on the awesome power of God in our lives. I'd like to close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much this morning for this very special day in which we're grateful for the loves of our lives. And so today, um, remind us through the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit to understand, just to get a little bit better grasp, O loving Father, of how incredible your love for us, that we should be called children of God. How great is the love you have lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What an incredible thing. You, the creator of this universe, have adopted us, and we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ the ruler of your creation. I pray that each of our staff here today, um, whether volunteers or, or paid, Lord, that you'd bless them and fill them with a great joy, uh, appreciating a little bit more of your passion for us. In Jesus' name, amen.